Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, we'll be listening to PSY 352, Social Psychology with Professor Nathan Smith. I hope you listen and enjoy. Okay, so we're picking up with intergroup relations. And these, again, this is intergroup. It's the things that happen between groups. So in-groups versus out-groups. In general, we think of groups that we're involved with as in-groups and other groups as out-groups. Sort of a very egocentric or self-centered way to think, but that's in general how um, how we sort of categorize uh, these groups. Self-serving or group-serving bias is, is creating favorable impressions of one's own group compared to others, and this happens all the time. Now, when you think about um, your college compared to your opposing college or your favorite team compared to an opposing favorite team. Um, and it's kind of one of the building blocks for how you get uh, racism and sexism and ageism um, and all the various uh, biases uh, that end up in uh, prejudicial or racist behaviors. Um, so think about this as sort of a building block, this kind of group-serving bias, favorable impressions of one's own. In intergroup versus interpersonal competition, there's a kind of discontinuity effect uh, defined here. And there's this, so when you have a competition between groups, it's more intense than a competition between individuals. And this is something that can be tested in a lab fairly easily. You have some sort of a simple game. Two people come in and play it against each other. And, you know, you're going to get, you know, there's some you know, back and forth, uh, competition, what have you. When you bring two groups in, say five people against five others, suddenly um, you find the competition is more intense, the groups see each other as more threatening, more different from each other. It really heightens this type of competitive uh, behavior. So something um, good to think about in... Um, you know, church settings, youth group settings, anytime you have, when you're building these groups and putting them in competition, you're creating uh, this sense of threat or heightening the sense of threat. Um, so that's maybe something we can think about practically um, and how, uh, how to avoid creating threatening situations when it's not necessary or when it's not what you're trying to do. So groups in Christianity in general uh, Western culture does not do a good job of um, understanding how important group processes are. This is true in Christianity as well, particularly Western Christianity. Um, the group processes involved in personal and corporate redemption are not understood or not thought about or misunderstood. Um, and this is a time when, you know, we're, we are living in a very individualized world but often we're reading about uh, a more corporate world. Um, the Middle East from Christ's time would have had uh, more of a corporate uh, group uh, groupiness thinking about uh, their situation than we do now with where families were stronger and racial and ethnic groups were stronger and what tribe are you from, what town are you from or maybe stronger than they would be in Western culture. So group processes can also help us understand faith. Um, 
you have to be careful in assuming such processes can totally explain intrinsic faith. And always we want to be careful when we're using these general concepts to explain uh, individual outcomes or things like intrinsic faith. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's important to think about uh, groups and Christianity. Uh, additionally, it's important to think about um, how you uh, yourself and other Christians uh, think about non-Christian groups. Um, and, uh, you know, so how do you and other Christians feel about atheists? How do you feel about, um, you know, people who believe in evolution? We've, we've had a discussion earlier, a discussion question about evolution. You know, were there, did anybody write anything um, that felt like in-group, out-group, you know, Christians uh, versus uh, people who believe in naturalist, um, the naturalist theories. So um, think about that. Think about your Christian group as a group that, that can be very beneficial to you, but also a group that uh, can, can maybe uh, can cause you to... Um, take more of a threatened view to other groups, but well, maybe that's not necessary. Uh, so uh, another part of this, this thinking about the self and groups and Christianity to keep in mind. Conformity, an excellent topic. Um, so conformity changing one's behavior in response to real or imagined social press pressure. What is the prevalence of conformity? Very prevalent exclamation point. Extremely prevalent. Conformity is maybe one of the easiest social phenomena to see. Um, just walk outside your door. Uh, look at how people are dressed. Um, in any office, in any um, ball game, in any college, um, conformity is everywhere. Uh, you know, everybody has the chance to choose the clothes they want or the bands they like or what have you. Uh, you know, in theory in America where there's, you know, there's a million different bands and yet if you tick, pick ten random uh, students, you might find that five of them have, you know, and ask them their five favorite bands, you might find the same band appear in five or six or seven or eight of those folks. Uh, because we conform, we humans uh, conform to what each other are doing all the time and there's very uh, it's very difficult to uh, to get away from that it's especially strange in an American culture that praises individualism we still find an enormous amount of conformity uh, happening all the time um, to the point where in some groups of like young people there might be conformity to the point where you can't even you won't even necessarily know who is who if you meet a, a group of junior high students you know at least around here in Boston, you know, you meet a group of junior high students, uh, you meet 20 junior high boys, 15 of them might be wearing a, the same or a similar Red Sox hoodie in different colors, black, gray, red, white. It's like, okay, you're all here all wearing the same hoodie. Uh, strange, but um, conformity is powerful. Uh, it's a good thing to think about. The chameleon effect, the sort of unconscious mimicking of others' expressions, very interesting, uh, something that happens all the time. The human mind was created 
to do this unconscious mimicking of others. It hap everyone does it all the time. Um, and it increases how much you like people. It facilitates social interactions. And actually lacking it can, be, can have a negative uh, inter uh, output for one. If a person doesn't know how to uh, mimic, they'll be less liked than someone who does. So is conformity inherently productive or destructive? It really depends. It can enhance the social order and learning, and it can lead to people compromising their values, both sides of the coin. Um, conformity uh, can be very helpful in a classroom setting. If, m if most people are working hard, uh, you might find uh, that push, that peer pressure, and you can get more people to work hard. Uh, conformity can be beneficial in that way. So why conform? There's private conformity, conforming to group norms because we actually believe in them, and public conformity is more superficial, uh, conformity for some other reason. Um, and there can be reasons for these, desire to be accurate, need for social approval, desire to maintain and protect one's self-image. Uh, yeah, and we kind of do some of each of these, and these can get, these can get mixed up, and uh, if you're conforming to something for superficial reasons initially, you might find eventually that you like it, and it becomes something you do on your own. So you can move from a public conformity to a private conformity. Uh, you're not stuck in one or the other of those. So some classic studies of conformity, Sharif on the autokinetic effect, um, Schachter on how conformers are perceived, spoiler alert, negatively, um, and there's a couple others. One that I want to point out is ASH. Uh, if there's one experiment on conformity that you should know, it's probably the ASH experiment where he had um, folks look at lines of different lengths, and um, even though it was pretty obvious that uh, one line was longer than another, if a bunch of other folks in a room uh, said something that was obviously not true, the individual who was being tested would also say that. And this is sort of a classic social psychology example of conformity. Um, people saying things that they did not believe, either consciously or unconsciously, because the group was saying it, the ASH experiments, uh, something really important to know about. Social impact theory, the larger the group, the greater the influence. Um, the Tanford and the Mullen, other important um, studies. Uh, so the moral convictions, I want to take a minute on that. Um, there's strong moral values associated with less conformity to opposing values. Um, uh, one way that this can work is the, through the minority voice. Individual dissenters can influence the group by reducing the group's confidence or the different dissenters presenting consistent responses. But I want you to think about um, these moral convictions, um, moral situations where uh, conformity can come up. Um, and and try not to think just about, you know, the big examples, you know, Nazis in Germany is some place that the mind always goes to. Try and keep it um, smaller, more simple. Um, think about uh, doing the right thing uh, as a family, or doing the right thing as a team, or uh, doing the right thing as a small group. Think about these, these small uh, micro-examples uh, of, of having strong moral convictions uh, even in the face of conformity.
And, and finally, uh, for this lecture, it's the social contagion. This is when ideas or emotions or behavior spread quickly over large numbers of people. Think about urban legends, social cascading, and suicide. Maybe I've, I actually have read quite a bit on the suicide piece, and um, the, the, it's really mixed um, whether the, you, get this, you actually do get a contagion effect for suicide. In some small-town situations, we find that we do, but sometimes um, in a better controlled environment, you find that you won't. So, uh, not so simple and straightforward um, as something like urban legends.